Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, if you would please, the very first psalm. And uh, we're going to look this morning at how to be a prosperous man. We know that the world has many ideas on this subject matter of how to be a prosperous man. But I want us to see what God's Word uh, has to say about it today. We're going to look at His path, His pleasure, and His prosperity. And I'll have more to say about that later. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Again, how to be a prosperous man. Uh, notice what he says here. And, and men, I want you to see that what he's going to tell us. Don't, don't lose yourself in all the details of this passage. Your relationship to the Word of God is what is going to determine so much about your life. And that's, that's the big picture here. Your relationship to the Word of God, the Word of God, the demarcation between men, different kinds of men. But, but that's the line of demarcation. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for a psalm that instructs us in the way of wisdom. We ask that you would teach us now from your word. May every heart and mind be open. May we have a teachable spirit. Lord, help us to be honest about the company that we keep. And the counsel that we listen to. May we examine all of the factors that influence who we are. And Lord, give us wisdom to put off those things that grieve your heart. And may we be clothed with Christ. Help our lives to bear fruit in season. Fruit that will last and fruit that will bring uh, glory and honor to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We know that fathers are very important. In March 1999, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services launched a new nationwide public service campaign challenging dads to remain emotionally and financially connected to their children even if their children no longer live with them. The campaign slogan was, they're your kids, be their dad. Now the campaign showed that 17 million children in America do not live with their fathers and girls without a father in their life are two and a half times as likely 
to get pregnant and 53% more likely to commit suicide. Boys without a father in their life are 63% more likely to run away and 37% more likely to get involved with alcohol and drugs. Both boys and girls without a father figure in their life are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, and nearly four times as likely to end up needing emotional and behavioral counseling and support. We know that dads are important to the family unit. But dads, I want to ask you this morning, what kind of man do you desire to be? What do you desire for your character to be like? And what steps are you taking to grow your character in Christ's likeness? What are you going to allow to set the course of your life? Psalm 1 addresses how to be a prosperous man and it points out two roads that confront every man. Now the Bible oftentimes points out two roads or two paths that we can take. Jesus spoke of this often in the Sermon on the Mount. He described two roads. There was a broad road that leads to destruction and and he said many people are on that road and there's a narrow road that leads to life and very few travel that path. And then he went on to describe two gates and then two different kinds of trees. One tree that produces good fruit. Another tree that produces evil fruit. He spoke of two different kinds of foundations. Having your life built upon the rock. Or the shifting sands of this culture. And he also spoke of two destinies. Most people today if you listen to them. Assume that everybody is going to end up in heaven. But Jesus said exactly the opposite. In fact, he said most people don't end up in heaven. And concerning life before death, most people, he said, are not traveling the right road. And so everybody is not the same and everybody does not end up in the same place. And if we deny that, then we are denying the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Decisions determine destinies. The road a person chooses marks the course of his or her life. Not only for the present, but also for eternity. Psalm 1 differentiates between two roads that a man can take. One leads to blessing, the other to cursing. One to usefulness, the other to waste. One to salvation, the other to condemnation. Now as you're probably well aware of, the Psalms are categorized into different uh, categories. They're listed as different categories. Different types of Psalms. Psalm 1 has been described actually 
as landing down within two categories. First of all, it is a wisdom psalm. And secondly, it is a Torah psalm. A wisdom psalm because it tells us how to be wise and walk in godly paths. A Torah psalm because it tells us that it is the law of God that helps us to walk wisely. It's generally agreed that Psalm 1 serves as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. In fact, in some ancient manuscripts of the Psalms, Psalm 1 is not even numbered. It is an introductory paragraph to the entire book of Psalms. Now that may provide for us a clue as we study also Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. Acts chapter 13 verse 33 is a direct quotation from Psalm 2. Paul is preaching and he's describing what the psalmist says about Jesus and God saying to Jesus, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, in some of the Western manuscripts of the New Testament, there's four families of manuscripts, the Alexandrian, the Caesarean, the Western, and the Syrian, or the Byzantine. And some of the Western manuscripts of Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 33, uh, indicate, it, it, it says that as it stands written in the first psalm, quoting from Psalm 2, and that would be a puzzling comment because again Acts 13.33 is a direct quote from Psalm 2 in our Bibles. But if Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 were considered in ancient times as one psalm or if Psalm 1 was an unnumbered introductory paragraph to all of the psalms making Psalm 2 the first psalm then one can see why the Western manuscripts would say of Acts 13.33 that as it stands written in the first psalm. Either way, Psalm 1 is a very important introductory psalm to the entire book. Some of the themes that surface in Psalm 1 are going to be played out and further described in the other psalms. Dad, Psalm 1 cautions us to be very careful about the choices that we make and very careful about the company that we keep. Because both of those, the choices we make and the company that we keep, are going to have profound impact upon our lives, our influence, and even our eternity. Let's make sure we choose the right way. Let's think this morning about the godly man. And again, what we're going to look at today is his path, his pleasure, and his prosperity. First of all, his path. And what could we say about his path? We could say that the man of God is being described as somebody who is separated from the world. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sin nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
We're being told that the man of God does not listen to the ungodly. Now, we don't hear a lot about this today, sadly. But there's a strong biblical command in both testaments that we are to come out from among them and be ye separate. Folks, we are to be different from the world. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're to be different from the world. Now in the scripture, when we're told, come out from among them and be ye separate, we know that that command, first of all, came to Israel. As God was leading Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, God was telling them that they were to be very different than their pagan neighbors. Now, they were to have an impact on their pagan neighbors. They were to be a witness to their pagan neighbors. But they were not to follow in the same paths that their pagan neighbors followed in. They were to come out from among them and be separate. Now, incidentally, in First and Second Corinthians both, the Apostle Paul picks up on that admonition from the Old Testament and he quotes it for the church today. It's not just for the people of Israel in the Old Testament period, but it is for the church today. We're to come out from among them and be separate. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah 52, 11 with the words come out from among them and be ye separate. Again, Christians are to be different. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company can corrupt good character. That's where the psalmist begins here. Look again at it. He says, blessed is the man. Now literally in the Hebrew you could translate it if we were, if we were rendering a, an extremely literal translation we could say oh how blessed. In the Hebrew it's an interjection. It expresses exclamation. The thought is oh how blessed. It's an exclamation of inner joy. And on top of that in the Hebrew it is in the plural. Oh, how, oh, all the blessednesses. Now, two thoughts come out of the plural there. The most obvious is a multiplicity of blessings. Where your cup is just running over and where your lap is full. He's talking about blessings so numerous. If we will follow what he's saying here, there will be blessings so numerous we won't be able to contain them. There will be a multitude of blessings. Or the plural can signify not the multitude of blessings, but rather the intensity of the blessings. How profound and great the blessings are going to be if we will follow this advice. Either way, the result is the same. He is describing somebody here who is blessed beyond measure or who will be blessed beyond measure if we follow these instructions. And again, these instructions have to do with being separate. 
Oh, how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Folks, we know that the influence of other people can be so very strong on us, even for adults. There's peer pressure, not just for young people, but for adults too. It's interesting, a little simple study that was done a number of years ago on young people. They put a group of young people in a room with three lines drawn on a board and the three lines were of different lengths. And the test was very simple. They were to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the second longest line. Now, in each group of ten Uh, They were told, nine of the ten were told ahead of time to raise their hand when the instructor asked for the longest line but pointed to the second longest line. 75% of the time, three-fourths of the time, the tenth person would slowly raise his or her hand so that they would conform to the rest of the group even though they knew the group was wrong. But we're being told here, we don't need to compromise with the ungodly. We don't need to blend in. Who are the ungodly? They're the ones who have no room for God. Folks, we, dads, let me say to you, we'd better be very careful who we go to for counsel. Even well-meaning friends and work associates, and oftentimes even people at church will give us counsel that is not in keeping with the Word of God. Dads, I want to ask you, who do you listen to? Who are your close friends that help to mold and shape your life you and I need to look at that very closely the influencers in our lives are they other men who would strengthen us in our relationship with our families or would they drive us further away we need to be very careful who we need who who helps us to shape our lives If you want a blessed life, men, the psalmist is saying here, you will be very careful not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Not only that, but he says here, he does not linger with the sinful man. He says here, nor stand in the path of sinners. The idea here is that we also reject the road of transgressors. Now true, we're all transgressors. We're all sinners saved by grace. But what he's talking about here is transgressors who are still transgressors. In other words, they are still lost. Their sin is their unbelief. Or their unbelief, I should say, is their sin. Their rejection of God has caused them to choose their own path. Now by saying, nor stand in the path of sinners, he's cautioning us not to take the paths, not to take the roads that they choose. First he said, don't listen to their counsel. But here here he's talking about somebody who's not only walking in their counsel, but as a result of that, they are choosing the paths, the roads that the ungodly go down. And he's saying, don't do that. There's a progression here, a very natural progression here, but it is a progression that is in the wrong direction. 
Also, he points out that he does not laugh with the scornful man. He says, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffers are the ones who have no shame whatsoever in their rejection of God. They're unbelievers and proud of it. They laugh at God. They laugh at God's word. They laugh at Christians. And we're seeing that happen more and more today. Now, all of these statements are saying basically the same thing, just in an ever-increasing and intensifying way. But while these phrases are saying essentially the same thing, I do want you to vividly see the digression here. It is a picture of a man who is going from bad to worse. He was first walking in the counsel of the wrong company and then he was choosing their paths because he had followed their counsel and now he's sitting down with them. He's keeping company with them. He's joining in with their mockery of God. He is now one of them. He is immersed in all of their ways and all of their rebellion. And the psalmist is saying the man who wants to be blessed, the man who wants to be God's man will not follow this course of action. Again, Dad, we need to choose our mentors and our friendships very carefully. How many times did we tell our kids that when they were growing up? That they need to choose their friends very carefully. Well, Dad, that's good advice for you and me as well. It starts small and innocent enough, we think. Here's a Christian man. Hypothetically, here's a Christian man, or at least he claims he's a Christian. Let's name him Joe. I'll talk more about old brother Joe in a minute, okay? But let's talk a moment about Joe. His buddies want him to start going out after work and hanging out with them and drinking. He knows he should probably get on home to his wife and kids, but his friends prevail on him despite the kinds of places that he knows they tend to frequent. Pretty soon, Joe is spending more and more time with them. Most of them are not married. Many of them are divorced. And they like to go away on little outings for the weekends. His wife expresses concern over this. And he gets angry at her and blows up at her. Pretty soon, he's spending all of his time with his friends after work and on the weekends. She asks him about church. He hadn't been with the family to church in months. He says, you know, I'm not even sure I believe all that stuff anymore. She looks at him across the table and in all honesty, she's not even sure who he is anymore. She doesn't recognize him. He's changed. How did something like that happen? He chose the wrong company. Men, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need to choose our companions carefully. We need to pick people who are going to strengthen us in our relationship with our wives and our families and strengthen us in our relationship with the Lord and the Lord's people. Now obviously I hope you can understand that what we're not being told to do here is to stop having anything to do with lost people. 
If we stop having anything to do with lost people, we wouldn't be able to carry out the Great Commission. That's not what these verses are addressing at all. These verses are talking simply about who we allow to be the influencers in our lives. And we need to choose those people very carefully. Because if our companions are people who don't know the Lord and more and more they're rubbing off on us and we're beginning to think and act like them and we find ourselves pulling away from the Lord and the Lord's people, we'd better put on the emergency brake and do some heavy duty soul searching. Because something is happening and it's not going to end good. And I wish men would see that before they end up in my office sitting across from me with their wife and their marriage is falling apart. And today we have social media and everything that goes with that. And I'm finding that so much happens there and it's like people don't see what's going on there. The quicksand begins. Dads, examine your path. Practice a little more separation from the world. God says here in verse 1, you'll be blessed by guarding your path. Secondly, let's talk about his pleasure. His pleasure, and what could we say about his pleasure? He is satisfied with the word of God. Notice what verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, God's word has captured his full affection. God's word has captured his full affection. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Folks, we need to live a God-centered life. And that comes about through knowing God as he has revealed himself in his word. Dr. John R.W. Stott writes that delighting in the word of God is one of the telltale signs that somebody is truly born again. He talks about how the lost man does not delight in the word of God. In fact, he does quite the opposite. But the man who has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit loves to get to know the will of God through the word of God. One of the greatest sins of our day today is a neglect of God's word. Dads, can you say honestly that you delight in God's word? Is God's word better to you than the sports page? Is it better to you than the stock report? Is it better to you than the magazine of your favorite hobby? You know what happens? You go to the mailbox, you get the mail out, and there's that hunting magazine or fishing magazine or gun magazine or car magazine or woodworking magazine and you go inside and you throw all that other mail aside you throw that mail junk mail most of it's bills and junk mail you toss that aside and you get that magazine of your hobby and you go in your favorite chair and you begin devouring that magazine cover to cover you delight in it do you ever do God's word that way I'm not saying you can't have a hobby 
A healthy hobby can be good for you. But I'm just simply saying, do you do the same with God's Word? Do you delight in God's Word? Are your times in God's Word some of the best moments of your day? Why don't you try developing that, dads? Delight in the Word of God, and as you do, your understanding grows and grows. The more you give yourself to reading and studying God's Word, the more you're going to love it, and the more it's going to shape and transform your life. Now, you know what you may have to do at first? You may have to do a little bit of force feeding. You may not want to. You may not feel like it. All you may have to go on initially is, I'm simply going to make a commitment to do this. And you carve out the time and you make a commitment every day that you're going to be in God's Word. You hear other people talk about how much they love it. That's never been you in all honesty. You read it occasionally. You've just never quite been able to understand it like others are talking about it. Well, just if that's you, just begin with the commitment. That's all. I understand the feelings may not be there. I think they'll come in time. But just start with the commitment and stick with it. And can I encourage you to study the Bible a book at a time? I think the way we read and study our Bibles today sets us up for a lot of disappointment and failure. I honestly do. And tragically, sometimes I think these little devotion guides that we have only perpetuates the problem. I don't use those guides because they'll have you in a couple little verses in one chapter one day completely out of context. They'll jump ten books over the next day, jump this direction, and you're never studying the Word of God as God wrote it. Study the Bible as God wrote it, a book at a time. And if you will do that, eventually I think you will see the benefit of it. I honestly do. Get yourself a good study Bible. Has good notes at the bottom. Those can be tremendously helpful. The ESV Study Bible is a good Bible. The NIV Study Bible. The Zondervan NIV Study Bible. Two different NIVs there. The NAS Study Bible. The MacArthur Study Bible. The Reformation Study Bible that uh, Ligonier does. All of those are wonderful study Bibles. Get yourself a study Bible and begin reading the Bible, studying the Bible a book at a time. And And if you're not accustomed to doing that, start with something manageable. Start with a shorter New Testament book, something like the book of Philippians. Don't start in Ezekiel, the 48 chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Because you're going to get lost in the weeds. First of all, develop the discipline and the ability to study a a book as a whole and and what that's going to mean to you. And then you can graduate up some of those books like an Ezekiel or a Revelation. And can I also encourage you to get a good translation? Now, don't misunderstand me. I love the King James. I cut my teeth on the King James. My first study Bible was the King James Version. But in all honesty, that's not the Bible that most people today understand the best way, just the way it's written. Get an ESV, get an NIV, 
get an NLT. You want the NLT. They took the Living Bible, which was not a translation, paraphrased, turned it into a translation. A pretty decent one. Now it goes along the lines of dynamic equivalent principle of translation rather than literal word for word, but it's a good translation. The NLT is the type of Bible you can sit down and read six or seven chapters at a time and not even realize you've read six or seven chapters. Get a Bible like that you can read and understand and stick with it. And I tell you what's going to happen. And it's not going to happen overnight. But there is a transformation that's going to take place in your life. Pretty soon you're going to be reading your Bible. Not because of that original commitment that you made. But you're going to be loving it. And the more you read it and the more you study it, the more you're going to love it. And you may not see what's happening. But others will see. That's what I would say to dads in the church who are genuine believers but who honestly need to start delighting in the Word of God more. Make a commitment today, Father's Day, I'm going to start doing that. But I also want to address a different topic a minute. Let's go back to that fella I spoke of a moment ago. What do we name him? Joe. He changed for the worse and his wife didn't know him anymore. Now let's take that same guy and get him doing the same process. Now here's my guess with him. Somewhere along the line, I think what is going to happen to Joe is true, authentic, biblical conversion. You see, I don't think he was saved to begin with. I honestly don't. He said he was, but he wasn't. It's not just because he started doing a few questionable things with his friends. It's bigger than that. There's just never really been any kind of interest in Joe's life in spiritual things. But somewhere along the line in this process, if he'll do what I've encouraged you to do, Joe going to be born again. Because Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the role of the scripture, first of all, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to draw us to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do in Joe's life over time. You see, Joe thought he was saved when he walked an aisle as a child or a teenager. He prayed a prayer, joined the church, but he wasn't saved. He just went through the motions. He meant it. I'm not questioning that, but he wasn't saved. We've got such a skewed view of salvation. So many people who think they're saved aren't because we don't even understand how it happens. We don't understand it from a biblical perspective. We've got all our church traditions, but often we don't know. We don't understand the heavenly transaction and change that happens when somebody is truly born again. And because the modern day church has little patience today with the biblical theology surrounding regeneration, oftentimes we don't even try to understand. We've got people like Joe everywhere. They have no interest whatsoever in the things of God. None. Zero. 
And yet they think they're saved because they walked an aisle as a child and yet they are spiritually dead. Their mom and their preacher told them they were saved because they walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, raised their hand, filled out a commitment card, but Joe's as lost as Adam's house cat. But if he'll get in the word of God and honestly let God start working on him and speaking to him, somewhere along the way, you know what's going to happen to Joe? He is going to be born from above. He's going to be regenerated. And you know what? Joe's going to end up a changed man and his wife isn't going to have to try to twist his arm about doing the right thing. Because the desire is going to be in his heart. Why? Because God has removed the heart of stone and given him a heart of flesh. That's why we promote the Bible around here. Because either through your private reading of the Bible or the public preaching of the Word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's through our relationship with God's Word, through reading His Word, He brings us to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He convicts us of our sin. He breaks us. He humbles us before Him. He brings us to Himself and He changes our life to where we're a new creation in Christ. I was so disturbed a number of years ago in my former church. Something that happened. We invited one time one of the most famous evangelists today in America. An evangelistic society uh, that he has. An association that he has. Famous, famous evangelist. And he came in and he told us as a staff. If you will get X number of people in a room. And you'll do A with them and B with them and C with them and D with them. Then I pray promise you, you will have 3.6 conversions for every 25 you get. Oh, he had it down to a science of percentage. Folks, that is not how the new birth happens. Jesus told Nicodemus, remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will. You don't know where it came from, where it's going. It's a mystery how God works in people's hearts. But God takes his word in a lost person's heart. Maybe instantaneously, maybe over months and years, God brings about conversion in that person's life. John MacArthur said on one occasion there was a Jewish man. Nobody had been able to reach John MacArthur sat, he, he came in to see MacArthur and said, what are you going to tell me? John MacArthur said, I'm not going to tell you anything. He said, I just want to ask you to, to take this Bible. He said, would you be honest enough to start in the New Testament? He actually encouraged him to start in the Gospel of John. He said, I'm not going to preach to you or anything, but every day if you would just open the Bible and start reading, say, God, if you're real and you're there, would you speak to me? 
Would you reveal your truth to me? A number of weeks, I think it was even months that went by, and MacArthur didn't hear anything from him. And all of a sudden he came in to see him again in his office, and MacArthur said, has anything happened? What, what's going on? What do you believe now? And he said, oh, I'll tell you exactly what I believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and he's my Lord and Savior now. And MacArthur said, how'd that happen? And the Jewish guy said, I did what you asked me to do. I got him God's Word, and I honestly sought God day by day and he ended up somewhere along the line he spoke to me and saved me and this psalm is saying also for men who are already saved again just like Paul said to Timothy and you could parallel what he's saying here with 2 Timothy 3 first thing that happens we're made wise unto salvation A baby Christian or a young Christian man stays in the Word of God and what's the Holy Spirit going to do with the Bible in that person's life? He's going to grow him into a mature follower of Jesus Christ equipped for every good work. You see, the Holy Spirit's going to take the written Word and lead us to the living Word, Jesus Christ. And then the same God who saves us continues on to sanctify us that's the ministry of the word of God and that's why he says here uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he's not careless or casual he delights in it and he meditates on it the Hebrew word for meditate on it There's a couple of connotations to it. We learn a lot about it from the negative connotation, meditate. Has anybody ever said anything to you that made you angry and you just stewed over it for days? You just stewed over it. Why'd they say that? What'd they mean? That's the concept behind the Hebrew word here, meditate. That's obviously a negative concept application of it but a positive application of it as you're studying your Bible each day have a notepad you study it early in the morning reflect on it all day long let God speak to you write things down think on that passage just think and over and over read it read it study it pray about it God what are you saying keep just met just just stew over that chapter in the Bible and you're going to be amazed at how God opens your eyes to see what he's saying. Meditate day and night. And then lastly, he describes here his prosperity. He says he is situated by the waters. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, he shows Stability. The image here is of nourishment and strength. The tree is planted. It's not growing wild. Trees in the ancient world, especially in a desert climate, symbolized stability and strength. In a day when there's so much inconsistency around us, So much unsteadiness around us. How wonderful it is to enjoy a life that is characterized by stability. A tree stands for a life grounded. 
Again, how did that happen? From his delight in the Word of God, his pleasure. His prosperity grows out of his pleasure. He delighted in the Word of God, and now he's like a tree planted. Not only does he show stability, he shows vitality. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither. Again, think of a desert climate. A tree planted by rivers of water. What's the image? An image of vitality, an image of life, an image of nourishment. Where is he getting his nourishment from? God's word. Remember how Jesus told the woman at the well that he would become in her like that artesian well springing up, that life-giving water. That's how the true believer is. And then what happens? Notice what goes on. He says that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Men, he's saying if we delight in God's word, if that's our pleasure, we meditate on it day and night, we're going to be like this tree that eventually in time, at the right time, we're going to bear fruit. You get in a situation where love is needed. Fruit of the Spirit, love. You get in a situation where peace is needed, you have peace. You get in a situation where joy is needed, joy. You get in a situation where self-control is needed, self-control. You're going to bear fruit in season at the right time. Refuse the counsel of the ungodly, delight in the Lord, meditate in His Word day and night, and eventually over the course of your life, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God bringing about that transformation and fruitfulness out of your life that only God can do. We, we tend to want the last part of the chapter without giving attention to the first part of the chapter. The last part of the chapter grows out of the first part of the chapter. Notice what he says about the contrast, chaff. Chaff that outer hull on grain. When they would beat the grain on the threshing floor and break that outer hull off, that chaff was absolutely, it had no value other than being fuel for the fire. No value at all. There was no root in it and there was no fruit in it. Here's a tree that there's root in the tree, there's fruit to the tree. Here's the chaff, there's no root, there's no fruit. And he's contrasting men in those categories. And in closing, again, men, I want you to understand what the dividing line is. What is the line of demarcation? What is the dividing line between the two types of men that he's describing here? The dividing line is the Word of God and what you do with the Word of God. It's a simple psalm when you understand it that way. I mean, we can really get lost in the details and the weeds of it, but if you really want to break it down in all of its simplicity, as it comes down to it in the final analysis, the dividing line between the two lives that he is describing here is the Word of God and what a man will do with the Word of God in his life. 
Dads, which road is your life on? Whose counsel do you listen to? What provides the anchor for your life? The culture or the Word of God? What's going to be the outcome of the road that you're on? Everybody is not the same. Everybody does not live the same. And everybody will not end up the same. And everybody will not be in the same place. Dads, don't miss what the psalmist is saying here. I'm going to ask dads this morning to make, a commit, to make that commitment I spoke of a moment ago. You may not feel like it. You may not want to. Make a commitment that daily you're going to sit down and start studying the Word of God. And you're going to study it book by book, chapter by chapter, the, again, the way it was written. Not this bouncing around, a little verse here out of context, verse there, book by book, chapter by chapter, every day in your life, and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me through what I read. Teach me. Reflect, meditate, study. Do you have time to do that? You don't have time not to do that if we could look at things from God's perspective. Do that and see what happens in your life. Okay? Just see what happens in your life. Others will see it. A transformation will take place. For some of you here, you know what's going to happen? For some of you here, you might have been in Joe's case who thought you were saved just because you walked an aisle. But you're going to see through that study, you've never been born again. Some of you are going to be saved. Most of you perhaps who have been saved, God's going to get you grounded and growing. And your life is going to be more fruitful. And you're going to grow more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. And you're going to be a usable vessel in God's hands. Your life is going to be changed. And you know what's going to be responsible for it? It's going to be the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God. The Holy Spirit taking the written Word. And drawing you to the living Word and growing you in the living Word. And your life is going to be different. Make that commitment this morning. Others of you, there are influencers in your life and influence is. There are things and people in your life that you know you need to lay aside. It's like take, in Colossians it talks about taking off and putting on. In Ephesians it does the same. Taking off and putting on. Like dirty clothes and clean clothes. There's some things you need to take off and lay aside. And some things you need to put on. Men, you know what those are. You know exactly what those are. The Holy Spirit's probably already bringing some of those things to mind. That you know you need to turn away from. There's probably some questionable relationships. That you know you need to turn away from. Be a witness to them, 
but not letting them be an influencer in your life. Lay those things aside this morning and put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for this portion of the Word of God that is so practical and so simple if we'll just do it. Lord, I've preached to men, but I pray that women as well will take these admonitions this morning and put them into practice. God, may we, be a, may we truly be a people of the book. And Lord, I, th- I thank you for what your Holy Spirit will do in our hearts and lives through this process. It's not something we can program. It's not something we can add statistics to. But it's your work in your time, in your way. May we be vessels in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.